Welcome to episode 120 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by More Insights and Strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is federal analyst Anshul Sag. Let's get started with my first topic. And I shared this on social media, but I got to spend a few days with AT&T, and in particular, CEO John Stanky. We were in Evansville, Indiana, and it was for a fiber launch. Uh, AT&T had announced in October of last year um, its investment um, with the city of, uh, of Evansville, and also the state government is involved in this as well. But it's about a $40 million project. And from a matching perspective, AT&T is putting up $3 to every $1 that the city of Evansville is, uh, is investing. They're getting these funds, obviously, from um, the American Recovery Act um, to fund infrastructure. And uh, Evansville is in a, it's in a fairly remote part of, of Indiana. It's very agrarian. And uh, it, was, it was exciting to be there. I got to spend the day with John. And um, I was invited as the only analyst. Uh, there was one uh, reporter from Bloomberg uh, that was invited as well. And uh, I got to ask John a question around his thought on satellite with respect to what we've covered in the past, the, iPhone, uh, the iPhone 14 support for emergency communications, as well as the, the T-Mobile SpaceX tie-up. And he actually shared some, some new information. And as a result, the Bloomberg uh, reporter filed an article that day. So it stole a little bit of my thunder, but I'm going to take the victory lap on this. But um, And Fierce Wireless also reported on this as well. But when I asked John like how he thought satellite connectivity would factor into the overall um, networking fabric, you know, for mobility. He said, well, you know, we've been working with AST Space Mobile for about 18 months, and uh, they had been doing this, you know, well ahead of uh, what T-Mobile uh, had announced with, with SpaceX. And he initially said that this will support FirstNet, so first responders, which is no surprise given that AT&T is responsible for that network, but that um, eventually there would be enterprise applications as well as consumer applications. Um, but this is in test phase right now. And so um, the FCC has granted an experimental license to do this, but if everything um, falls according to plan, um, John mentioned that um, the testing is very promising, that they would, they would ask the FCC for um, spectrum approval to, to do this. So um, pretty exciting. You know, I didn't know I was going to ask a question that was going to kick off, you know, <laughs> a ripple effect. And I've seen several articles this week on it, but would love for you to weigh in as well, my friend. I actually did not catch this. Okay. Um, I did have a bout of uh, food poisoning this week. So oh, that's um, right. I'm sorry. You feeling better? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still feeling a little weird, uh, in the tummy, but, uh, I was literally, um, completely incapacitated the entire day of Tuesday and, and was struggling to uh, uh, recover on Wednesday. So it probably happened one of those days. Um, but I, I, the thing that I find interesting, and this might be a little bit of a foil um, to the, the, the AT&T announcement is, you know, we know that there's already, uh, you know, vendors out there um, like Link Mobile that have commercial licenses in place mm -hmm. uh, with the FCC so I'm I'm a little bit hesitant to say that like um, AT and T is necessarily further ahead um, than some other players in the market. 
with their partnership with AST Space Mobile because they technically don't have this, you know, FCC license for commercial operations yet. Um, And then also, you know, I I didn't really glean anything from what you said or from what I've seen that um, they are demonstrably ahead um, in terms of implementation Mm -hmm. uh, than, say, what T-Mobile or Verizon are working on. Um, So I I think um, in my mind, there need to be more deliverable um, or demonstrable, uh, you know, I don't know how to put it, some kind of uh, uh, accomplishments uh, or deliverables that that can be marked as, uh, you know, a a point where they are ahead of. Um, You know, I think we can see that with 5G networks very clearly. But when it comes to satellite connectivity, you know, we might have to establish some kind of uh, rules for where 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 somebody is in in the process. No, I hear you. No, it's a good point, and I think the point that John was making. I don't want to put words in his mouth. Was that they have been um, doing this testing with AST for the last year and a half, you know, and then you know T-Mobile and SpaceX had their big announcement. I think his point was SpaceX is going to have to do all of that testing as well, um, and um, you know, I, I I know you covered you covered that on a prior podcast, but I agree with you. There needs to be more details. But but it was interesting. This was sort of the first reveal, and you know, I'll, again, I'll take the victory lap for for having asked John the question when we were on the bus going around town there. But um, as things develop, we'll definitely report back on future podcasts. But let's move to your first topic, and you want to talk about Huawei and the possibility of their relaunching um, phones with five G next year. Yeah, so yesterday, um, the Financial Times published a report that said that Huawei may try to circumnavigate U.S. sanctions by redesigning its smartphone to accommodate less advanced chipsets made by Chinese companies that will enable 5G. Mm -hmm. Um, Because currently, Huawei uses Qualcomm chipsets, but only for 4G. Um, And that's obviously a challenge because all of Huawei's competitors in China are using Qualcomm chipsets with 5G. Um, so this is a, you know, obviously puts them at a disadvantage um, when they're in the market and it's hurt them considerably in terms of market share. Um, the, the, the problem I find with this story is um, I'm not aware of there being any um, really competitive 5G chipsets. There are some, some 5G modems um, in market, but the most advanced 5G chipsets out of China were Huawei's. Right. And they can't produce them anymore because they can't work with TSMC. So um, I think as far as, 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 you know, making this happen, you know, they would have to redesign a lot of, um, you know, their products to, to accommodate um, a third party modem supplier. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I don't really see this being a viable option. Um you know, I, I could see, um, you know, somebody in China, um, I'm, I'm just trying to think, you know, there's some vendors, some silicon vendors in China that could potentially do this, but spinning up a 5G modem is not easy, uh, as yeah. Apple has made, made very clear. Right. Um, and, you know, I'd love to hear your take on this. Well, yeah, no, I'm... I mean, I think it's a stretch, right? And, um, you know, I think one of the concerns 
that um, was echoed about Huawei's um, solutions was a lot of uh, infusion of uh, machine learning and AI. And um, in the way the company positioned it, I recall, was around sort of, okay, understanding how users use their phones. So if they're more email centric or more web browser centric, then um, that machine learning, you know, integrated into what I recall was the Karen chipset um, would sort of adjust performance accordingly. And so I think obviously there, there's concerns there um, around spyware and that sort of thing. And, you know, the possibility of Huawei leveraging, you know, things like machine learning um, you know, to, to spy and snoop and, and that sort of thing. And, uh, but I also agree with you. I mean, you're, you're much closer to the, uh, the in-device market than I am, but I'm also not aware of, um, of any, you know, Chinese vendors that are, that are developing, you know, cellular modems to any, any degree, to any um, volume, you know, and to your point, you know, most of, uh, most of the, the Chinese, you know, smartphone um, handset manufacturers are leveraging Qualcomm. So, yeah. There's, it, there's only really one Chinese homemade 5G vendor. Yeah. Modems because it used to be Huawei and there's Unisoc, right? Okay. Um, which is like a, you know, a merger of uh, a couple Chinese companies, including Spreadtrum, but their 5G um soc uh uses six nanometer mm -hmm. which means that's tsmc right. or so that's probably not not gonna happen um uh and you know this is more the, the current 5g modem they have is mostly for iot applications so i'm not even sure um they can really leverage their 5G modem. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm 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 curious to see if it'll be Unisoc. Um there, there's another topic we've got to talk about later today or later in the podcast regarding restricting companies' access to to chip technology that that I think will will impact this even further. Yeah, no, that'll be your third topic. So but let's move to my second. So um, I had a follow-up conversation with the city of Las Vegas, and if our listeners and viewers remember last week, um, I spoke to the big announcement um, with, uh, with NTT and the city of Las Vegas, um, basically launching the largest CBRS municipal network um, in, in the country. And um, as a follow-up, um, I was able, in fact, just yesterday on Thursday, uh, since we're recording today on Friday, um, I got to spoke with a gentleman that's been sort of at the center of those deployments. And we had a great conversation. And um, what's going to materialize out of that is um, I will be in Las Vegas, I think for my sixth and final conference in mid-December. And I'm actually going to spend um, a day with the city of Las Vegas. And they're going to walk me around um, different parts of the city and sort of show me what devices they're, they're deploying that are leveraging the CBR spectrum. Um, some, of the, some of the applications um, are quite obvious. They spoke to the Fremont Street area using smart cameras for, for public safety and that sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of IoT. They're doing a lot of uh, measurement of air quality and that sort of thing um, in the city of, uh, of Las Vegas. Um, they're also investigating with private networking neutral hosts 
type scenarios where eventually it's very nascent right now. But if you think about it, um, what what the city will do is, you know, they own the infrastructure, they deploy it, and then, um, you know, they they allow the public network operators to, to leverage some of that infrastructure for, um, you know, for amplification and, and, and that sort of thing, because, you know, there are pockets of the city um, that, that, that aren't being reached. And uh, we have talked about T-Mobile. T-Mobile's got um, a pretty wide spectrum footprint deployed in um, Las Vegas. Yep. Um, they're also powering that, um, that, that fractional rental car service, Halo. Um, and that, and that's funding recently, actually. Yeah, and they were they were funded again. And, and if, if our viewers and listeners remember, um, that is an autonomously piloted car that is delivered to you when you when you hail it, and then and then you get in and you you drive it, right? So it's sort of like the the go car or whatever, but it's but it's uh, autonomously piloted to you. That leverages T-Mobile's five G spectrum. But you know, some of the other applications he was talking about were, um, you know. Uh, outfitting, you know, kind of parks and that sort of thing, again, with a lot of IoT sensors and cameras um, around public safety. But what I found interesting, um, they were having some challenges with, um, with with the cameras because they're obviously they're they're sending a lot of data. So they've actually done some millimeter wave um, deployments as well and didn't quite understand, you know, how they're getting access to the, that that spectrum. But you know they're, they're they're experimenting with a lot of different things, and um, I'm looking forward to getting back in December and you know spending time and walking you know walking a lot of uh, the infrastructure deployments and planning a, a Forbes article as well. But but clearly there was a lot more detail uh, behind that announcement, um, and the use cases are very very diverse and they're very very wide. And you know at the end of the day, you know uh, on go CBRS spectrum. You know, given it's uh, it's in that 3.5 to 3.7 gigahertz range, provides that great optimal balance of propagation and performance, which makes it ideally suited um, for a lot of these applications. I I don't know if you have anything further to add or any observations, but would love to hear it. I was going to say millimeter wave. They probably could use some unlicensed spectrum for that, like sure. 60 gigahertz. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's one of the bands that's pretty popular for millimeter wave and online okay. for, for for kind of private networks. Uh, I think uh, Meta's uh, um, terahertz uses 60 gigahertz. Um, mm -hmm. They might even use 70. Um, and then, yeah, I, I think, you know, I think the, the the way to look at like these kinds of bandwidth problems, you know, the way you described it, um, to me, it sounds like that's a great application for millimeter wave, yeah. you know, adding capacity in places where you need it, as opposed to just deploying it willy nilly. Um, and yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. When are you when are you going to be uh, in Vegas? Because I might might also be there at the same yeah, time. Yeah, come tag along with me. It'll be mid-December. It's like the 12th through the 15th. And okay. yeah, I think and I, so, I might just miss you because I'll probably be in New York. Ah, uh, bummer. I'll be in Vegas for AWS. There you go. Well, maybe I can get you a second tour because they were pretty they were pretty stoked to, to tell me all about it. But Stay tuned. Um, there'll be there'll be more on that subject, but um, we're going to continue to talk about satellite um, this week. And so you want to talk about SpaceX, you know, and they've they've been sort of um, you know focused on this twelve gigahertz five G debate with Dish, and you want to talk about you know talk about that a little bit more. Yeah, I think when you really think when you look at the situation with SpaceX and twelve gigahertz, um, and why they're so aggressive about it, because I think it's quite clear 
that SpaceX is very aggressive about 12 gigahertz and dishes proposals to use use that band for 5G. Um, and I think it makes sense to a degree, right? Because if you look at SpaceX's business, Starlink is very dependent on this 12 gigahertz band. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, they're already struggling to keep frequency or not frequency, but keep bandwidth numbers up um, as they add more customers. Mm -hmm. um, and this, this will only continue to be a problem for them if, you know, they lose or have to share the spectrum for, with 5G. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's, that really, to me, is the is the core of their their argument against using 12 gigahertz. Um, but they're now, you know, they've hired or they use some third-party firm called Savid LLC mm -hmm. um, as an engineering firm to, um, you know, say that uh, 12 gigahertz would effectively end the service um, for people who uh, depend on the 12 gigahertz band right. based on um, the October 4th filing that uh, FCC made uh, or that SpaceX made to the FCC. Yeah. And, um, you know, there obviously uh, there's already some pushback from DISH saying that, you know, they don't think this is legit um, and that, you know, um, they're 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 really not about it apparently um and i think this is one of those things where we probably need to have the fcc find or do it themselves mm -hmm. usually it seems like they hire independent firms for this but yeah. i feel like there needs to be some real independent data because um you've got dish and dell on one side and then you've got spacex on the other right. um and both stand to benefit from 12 gigahertz being in use for their use case. Right. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're going to need more 5G spectrum. Um, and I and also I think, you know, there's a potential for 12 gigahertz to be used um, for satellite as a 5G component carrier, maybe not yeah. as, you know, a terrestrial um, carrier. But I, I just think that this, this battle continues to, um, you know, go back and forth um, and maybe there is a healthy middle ground between the two of them, but it feels like SpaceX is, is very much uh, binary in their um, assumptions and their, and their stance on this issue. Yeah. And I think that we need to um, have an independent third party like the FCC actually go out and do its own research and yeah. find its own findings instead of having these back and forth constantly happening because i'm i'm kind of getting tired and i think maybe even our listeners are too uh, oh big time you know and you say binary you know it lately elon's been binary too but you and i won't go there you you and i have weighed in on some of his latest tweets it's it's a little ridiculous with what what he's weighing in on with with i'm, uh, I'm trying to keep that out of out of my analysis <laughs> right. keep that keep that on our personal feed and, and and not on our on our on our business feed for sure but well, hey, let me go to my third and final topic, and I'm going to go do a revisit to Mobile World Congress. And I, I don't recall mentioning this when I did my wrap-up, but while I was there, um, I did meet with Rakuten, uh, with, with Tarek um, Amin. And I, I tell you what, man, he's a, he's a visionary. You know, you get excited just being with him in the room. And we talked a lot about the success of Symphony and, and, and Simware in particular. And so that's what I want to talk about today. So... Um, there, there was an article published in Light Reading 
um, just recently that that sort of spoke to uh, kind of where somewhere um, has come. And, you know, um, it's, it's fully in production now. And if you're not familiar with similar, what it does is um, it combines a distributed RAN node and a cell site transport device. And it's designed to, uh, to leverage, um, you know, sort of off the shelf, you know, industry standard uh, hardware. And um, it's, you know, it's a multi-purpose edge appliance and uh, it leverages, you know, Intel processors and um, carrier routing software from Juniper Networks. Yeah, Juniper does a lot of work and, you know, kind of Rick and, and that sort of thing as well. You know, Juniper's got a, a pretty deep portfolio um, from a service provider standpoint. But, um, you know, it, this really fits well into what Rocket is trying to, to, uh, to accomplish with Symphony is to really um, provide, you know, a very open, a very agile platform that, um, you know, and again, they point to um, the CapEx and the OpEx disruptive benefits of it. Um, Tark also... Gave me a little preview on on how this will evolve over time. That was under non-disclosure. So, but suffice it to say that they want to they, they want to leverage this platform and become even more disruptive in the future. So I'll leave it at that. Um, when the embargo lifts, I'll have more to share. But um, what are your thoughts? So I have questions because I wasn't briefed on this, yeah. and I actually don't know that much about Simware. Yeah. Um. So I guess the first question is like. Is similar hardware only? Is similar software only, or is it a combination of hardware and software? Um, it's a software platform, but again, they're they're designing this with uh, with Intel processors and with uh, with Juniper Networks hardware. So it's a okay, so there's a little bit of a hardware tie-in. There is. It's an appliance. I mean, yeah, it's an appliance basically. Yeah, when you put all the pieces together. Okay, because yeah. like you know. Uh, I know, I know what Symphony, what Symphony's role is, mm -hmm. and like what they're trying to achieve and how they're trying to achieve it. But the the Simware component of it, I'm not as familiar with. Sure. Um, and it definitely seems like there's a lot of different components to it because it is, you know, open RAN automation, edge cloud. Yeah. It's all orchestration. Yep. yep. So yep. I think, um, you know, it might we might have to. Uh, you know, maybe get Tarek on here to, to explain it more more clearly. I think that's a great idea. Um, I did tee that up with him. I think he's interested in doing that. So I think he'll he'll be on a future um, standalone podcast. But uh, well, hey, with that, let's go ahead and move to your third and final topic as we wrap things up today. Yes, and this is a doozy. So <laughs> um, this literally came out this morning. Um, this was something that was developing overnight. Um, it's a Biden administration issuing a sweeping set of new rules on chip tech exports to China. Um, mm -hmm. This is an article I read on Protocol by Max Cherney. Um, I tried to look on the White House's website. There's nothing there about it. So we're going to have to go on the conversations that they had with the press. Um, and basically, there's a ton of new rules. Um, some of them are extremely specific, um, including, um, you know, uh, no, no using FinFETs, um, which is a 14 nanometer or lower technology. So it means like, you know, 14, 10, 7, all those FinFET related technologies out the window. Hmm. Um, you know, a DRAM, even on DRAM, there's specific uh, memory for, for memory tools, um, tools capable of fabricating flash storage chips with 128 layer tech or greater, which means, you know, higher density memory chips out the window as well. Um, 
DRAM that is made with 18 nanometer half pitch or less. So more, more slow nanometer, um, you know, denser chips also out the window. Um, you know, strict rules on servicing of maintenance tools, which is obviously like an adjacent thing, but it's yeah. also like a, a potential opportunity. Um, and, and even any U.S. citizens currently servicing or supporting tools on the restricted list will have until Wednesday to halt their activity. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and, and then there's also like the U.S. will block exports of items to China that could be used to make its own chip manufacturing tools such as photolithography light source and other specialized components, AKA ASML stuff. Right. Um, and then there's also commerce department stuff. It's, it's, it's a very sweeping list. I highly recommend you read it on protocol. Um, I'll add the link at the end of the description okay. because it's a lot to absorb. I posted it on our socials as well, but um, it says that officials said that 31 Chinese entities will be added to the unverified list. A group of companies that U.S. government believes could send tech that they buy to restricted entities. And for 28 Chinese organizations already on the list, commerce is expanding the scope of controls, including preemptively or presumptively denying any licenses because of the risk that tech could be diverted to the Chinese military. So a lot of this is really about, um, at its core, blocking advanced computing and artificial intelligence applications um, from being and you know used by the chinese military right. using american um software you know ip and tech to to essentially build its own capabilities um because there used to be a multi-decade rule that we would keep the chinese the u.s government would keep the chinese um government you know two two generations behind but now they're like generations be damned this is this is a hard stuff this is nuclear. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I, I think it's it's very interesting because it's going to make it very difficult for for companies like AMD, Nvidia. Um, you know, Intel already had restrictions put on it. Right. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think it's going to take a while for the industry to absorb um, exactly the, the 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 magnitude of this announcement. Um, but I think that this is going to make it a lot harder to sell chips to Chinese companies yeah. um, and, and how they, how they, you know, um, and, and, and the tools to, to make chips for, to Chinese companies as well. Right. Well, you know, this is interesting. You know, the Trump administration started this uh, assault on Huawei in particular. We talked about Huawei earlier, uh, as well as the Chinese uh, supply chain. And this current administration is doing the same. So, I mean, um, clearly, there's plausible concern and evidence that uh, um, you know that we uh, we have to like you know dismantle or you know incapacitate their ability to be able to uh, you know to you know to basically build platforms that integrate sophisticated technology. So um, it continues uh, to be to be very very interesting. <laughs> I think I genuinely think that if they are cut off, um, they'll most likely just steal the technology. Right. Uh, any way possible um the problem is is that there's a lot of you can only you would have to steal every generation because every generation has a lot of like new advances yeah um and you could build off of some of those thefts um but ultimately i find that a lot of the um you know a lot of the things that are manufactured 
still need a supply chain to support it. And oh, that's yeah. why I think you're seeing a lot of these things um, getting cut off because if you leave some of these things in place, they could steal one component of it and then have the support system to, to continue it forward. So I think yeah. this is really about preventing like, okay, you can steal the IP, but what are you going to do with it? You don't have anyone to supply you to do that. So yeah. I think it'll take China decades to uh, catch up, even if they are cut off. Yeah, I agree. You know, and this was probably a year ago, maybe maybe longer ago than that, but we were talking about Huawei in particular and um, their high silicon um, business unit and how, you know, that was really just a, a, a design, a design arm. Um, certainly did not have any fabrication capabilities. Was They were using TSMC and others as well. And uh, in order for them to pivot, they would have to develop those capabilities. Well, it sure looks like the federal government is, is finding a way to cut them off at the knees. They can't do that. But uh, yeah, man, th this was pretty interesting. Um, I'm actually going to spend some time when you post, uh, post the link as well, because uh, I really want to kind of dig into this. But it's been another great podcast. Um, I just want to say hook them horns. I'm headed to Dallas for the big Texas OU game. But buddy, why don't you take us home? I'm going to say go Padres. They play the Mets today. <laughs> yeah, there you go. They're, they're, they're in the playoffs. Good. The haters, the haters are there. They don't think we're going to win. I hope yeah. we do. Um, but I'll take us home. Uh, we hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. Uh, if anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Whale Tech, and I'm at Anshal Saad. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.